Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Dulles International Airport. The local time is 1.13. Please remain seated with your seatbelt fastened until the seatbelt sign has been turned off and keep the all clear of all carry-on items. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Yolitics here. Um, our, our microphone might sound a little hollow, a little echoey here because we're coming to you from the beautiful, luxurious Washington Plaza Hotel just north of the White House in downtown Washington, D.C. And uh, I wish I could say I was on vacation. I'm not on vacation. I'm at work slaving away 12, 15-hour days while you-know-who, Jason Wheeler, is out rollerblading somewhere, uh, probably on vacation. Actually, he is on vacation. He has some time off. He will try to convince you that it is needed time off, but uh, I will, of course, argue that when he gets back. Nevertheless, we uh, are, are continuing on. We're pushing forward without Wheeler on Yolitics this week. We are in D.C. with the Texas House Democrats who fled from Austin uh, last week. So our first guest, State Rep. James Tallarico, Democrat from Round Rock. He's 32. Your second term. And are you the youngest legislator? Yes, sir. In Austin? Mm-hmm. Just call me Jason. Don't call me Jason. <laughs> yes, uh, I'm, I'm not. You make me feel old. Um, well, welcome to welcome to Yolitics here. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. We don't normally wear ties on Yolitics, but I know you have other appointments after me, sure. so I'll uh, I won't say anything about it. Um, let's talk about. A couple things that are kind of the elephant in the room here. You, yeah. you had two viral moments <laughs> yeah, since sure. all this began. Your, your first viral moment was uh, on the charter bus, mm-hmm. and uh, there was a, a mysterious package sitting across the aisle from you. <laughs> Tell me about this. How, how did it, it was a twelve pack of Miller Lite. Uh-huh. You weren't even sitting near it. Sure. No, I actually didn't know it was on the on the bus. <laughs> but people kind of piled on you and said, you know, said that you brought it or you were, you were having a party with it. Well. I think because there was a picture taken and, and the Miller Lite was seen in the picture. And then if you look kind of to the left in the back of the photo, it's me with like a kind of surprised look on my face, uh, which, of course, wasn't related. But, you know, how that's how memes develop. So, so it looked like I was got, honored. It looked like you got busted with that's it. That's right. Yeah, you were. Well, and, I, and I looked 12 in the picture. So it looked like I was underage buying beer on a quorum break. So it was, it was a perfect combo. Was that Julie Johnson's photo, I believe? Yes, I think yeah. so. I think she's, I think it was a selfie. Yeah. Yeah. So state rep Julie Johnson's from North Texas. She, she uh, posted a selfie and most everyone was smiling in the photo. Yeah. And you just happened to look up and realize well, I, that a I shot know, was being taken. I didn't know there was a photo being taken. So that was just my natural, you know, resting face. Uh, and it just looked like I had been busted for, for underage drinking. That, that was good. <laughs> what, what kind of feedback have you had on social media for that? Oh, it's all been in, in good fun. Um, it's been a lot of my friends and supporters who have been posting it as a meme, um, and it's been transplanted onto other memes. So I, you know, I I, um, I, I laughed at it and, and thought it was great. Um, in fact, there was one that um, had taken that photo and transposed it onto a fake uh, driver's license and said, "This is the ID that James Elrico used to buy the beer." Um, nice. 
and went ahead and I, I liked the I liked the tweets. So. But but for the record, that wasn't yours at all. Was it no. on, <laughs> was it on the bus or did, when y'all got on, you know? Or? Oh, I don't know. I mean, it, looked, it, it was kind of it was kind of hidden you, and I mean you can tell it wasn't the main focal point of the picture. Yeah. Um yeah, I don't know who brought it, but also I don't think it's a big deal. And in fact from from what I heard from most Texans, they they appreciated that we brought some beer with us. It, uh, and and as I've said before, if you can't fight fascism and drink beer at the same time, are you really a Texan? So, well, the corporate executives at Yolotix let us drink a beer on this program. All right, and <laughs> I hope it's been a lot. <laughs> and we, um, I went to the pool bar right. here, Perfect. and I, I got a Miller Lite. Perfect. These are twist Perfect. offs. Okay, and I, okay. I don't know where the, uh, the you know obviously it's from Milwaukee, but sure. Um, it's, I, I've heard it's also made in Texas. I mean, it's not from Texas. Yeah, but, but there's one in, in yeah. um, Fort Worth. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks for coming on uh, Yolotix. This is the first time we've had Miller Lite on Yolotix. Is Miller Lite sponsoring this episode? Is that it's not, should? but it's it not. should. Okay. We should call them. You know, and I, I think that was my run, one regret from Miller Lite Gate. Can we call it a gate? We could call it a Why gate. Why not? We're um, in D.C. We're yeah, down, the, gate, down the road yeah. from Watergate. My only regret that it wasn't Shiner or Lone Star. That was the real... <laughs> mess up on it, I think on our part. But. And I didn't realize this, but Miller Lite was actually trending. Uh, that's right. Because of that. That's exactly right. I mean, that is one famous 12 pack of Miller Lite. Um, and anyway, I, I thought it was fun and I actually don't know where it ended up. Um, things got so crazy. But that's, someone should grab it and put it in the Bob Bullock Museum. The, right, right. <laughs> the, the second viral moment, they're going to move on to, to the rest of the stuff. Second viral moment was your Fox News interview. A little more serious than the Miller Lite. <laughs> Here's my question. Why in the world did you go on Fox News? Well, you know what? So many of my constituents watch Fox News, and um, so many of my family members uh, watch Fox News. Um, and so I wanted those folks to hear from me directly why I did this. And I didn't want it to be filtered through you know, Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson. I wanted them to hear it from, straight from my mouth. Um, and so I went on, and, and I feel like I'm doing the right thing. I really do. And when you feel like you're in the right, there's no fear uh, about going into the lion's den or into the belly of the beast, whatever metaphor you want to use. And so, so our listeners know your district is in, is it all in Williamson County? That's correct. Yep. It's all in Williamson County, which is just north of Austin, mm-hmm. uh, Round Rocks, where you're from. That's right. Uh, Georgetown is part of your district uh, as well, too. Um, it's really good. So. It, it is. <laughs> I had a Miller Lite since I got here. It's ice cold. Actually, when, when I went to the pool bar, I said, I don't want them open yet. Sure. I put them in a backpack. She said, uh, well, are you taking them to your rooms? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take them upstairs. <laughs> Um, but but let's go back to the Fox News interview. The the host, I don't know, I don't watch a lot of Fox News, but, sure. but the host was grilling you, yeah. and then it, it looked like you just kind of got fed up, and you turned the tables. Yeah. So tell me, tell me kind of what played out, what you said. Well, you know, I don't think he was grilling me, because I think of grilling as coming from reporters like you who, are, who operate under journalistic <laughs> guidelines and integrity, um, grilling with actual questions, right? Um, he was kind of trying to uh, go into a monologue, right? Um, he wasn't interested in a dialogue. He wasn't interested in my answers. Typically, when a journalist grills you, they do want to know what your answers are, and he was not interested. And so when I came to the realization in the middle of the interview that this wasn't a conversation, um, I decided to go ahead and ask questions of my own. Uh, and the primary question I had on my mind was, would this host admit a basic um, accepted fact that Donald Trump lost the last election? And you know, I was frankly surprised that he didn't. I mean, I knew it would be uncomfortable for him, but I thought he would admit Donald Trump lost and move on, right? Get, you know, get, get rid of the dead weight in right. the conversation. But instead, he, he just, the silence was, was deafening. Um, and I think it exposed a lot about, about the big lie, which I think is the, is the reason we're all here right now. So. so, and then you asked, you went on from there too, though. Yep. You didn't stop right there. Right. Uh, I mean, I think when you, if you're a Texas Democrat, uh, in the state legislature, you're used to having to grill 
you know, your Republican opponents to get the answer. It's good practice. Um, and so when I went on Fox News, used the same tactics I would have used on the back mic uh, to get an answer to my question on critical race theory yeah. or, or any other bill. The, the back mic, of course, in the, uh, in the legislature. Right. Uh, in, in the House chamber, rather. That's right. Um, all right, let's move on to, the, uh, to what's going on here. You guys are obviously in D.C. I think there are 58 of you, a dozen staffers, uh, including some of your staff up here as well, too, um, in D.C. You guys have been meeting um, all week, talking to Chuck Schumer. You met with uh, Vice President Harris. Right. Um, Joe Manchin, I think there were some right. that met with Joe Manchin as well, too. Mm-hmm. Everything that I'm hearing, and you may be hearing more than you're probably hearing more than me. I know you are because you guys are actually in these meetings. But the Democratic leaders in D.C. say they do not have the votes to get anything passed, to get the, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed or the For the People Act passed, which is what you guys want to get passed sure. to secure national voting rights protection nationwide. They also say they're not going to get that support anytime soon. So. I hate to keep asking the same question sure. to everybody I talk to in the hallways here, but what's the end game? If nothing is going to yeah. happen here, I mean, why stay here? So I, I think the For the People Act is necessary, of course, um, because of the, the stakes. You know, I, I really do believe we are in a, a um, historic crisis and our democracy is under threat and we need uh, a piece of legislation that matches that scale. But I think the analysis is correct. There probably are not the current votes under the current Senate rules to pass the full version of the For the People Act. But what I am hearing in some of these conversations is there may be a, a deal space uh, to, to do something um, with a smaller scale or a smaller scope. And, and honestly, as a Texas Democrat, um, I, I'm out of options to protect my constituents and their rights to vote. Uh, and so I'm willing to take whatever deal is, is possible. So we may not get the full loaf, um, or, or we may only get half a loaf now and have to try for the rest later. But I, I'm optimistic, based on these conversations, that there is room for some type of compromise within the Democratic caucus on the Hill and also with some Republicans. What, if, if it's a smaller carve-out, what's the slice of bread that you want? I, you know, at, I think if we're talking about bare minimum, I think we need uh, to reinstitute preclearance, uh, which is where the Justice Department would uh, be able to vet some of these proposals that come out of states like Texas uh, that would threaten people's right to vote. Um, I mean, the federal government is here to ensure that our rights are protected um, across every state. Uh, and voting rights, as you know, are the most critical right of all, right? Without it, this whole thing falls apart, this American experiment that you and I are both engaged in at this, at this very moment. Um, and so Preclearance, I think, would be the bare minimum of what we'd need uh, to ensure that every Texan gets their voice heard at the ballot box um, and is able to elect um, officials who represent their values. And explain to our listeners what preclearance is, because preclearance was, uh, Texas fell under that with so many right. southern states for That's so right. long. Um, but for our listeners who might not know what preclearance means, what is it? Why so, is it so important? So it would allow the, the U.S. Justice Department to be able to take a look at major changes to an election code in Texas to make sure that, it, that it's constitutional, that it's not uh, discriminatory, that it's not disenfranchising folks in the state of Texas, particularly black and brown people in our state. Um, it's, it's something that we operated un, under for many decades, and it protected the right to vote for millions of Texans. Um, you know, it, it was only uh, eliminated just in the last decade. Uh, and, you know, the minute the Supreme Court invalidated preclearance. We saw photo voter ID put into place, which we know was was discriminatory against uh, African Americans, against Latino voters, against poor folks, um, the, the kind of populations that Texas Republicans don't want to show up and vote. Um, 
All we'd have to do is put that back in place, uh, which I think would prevent a bill like this from becoming state law, at least the most harmful provisions of this bill. And you think there's support? Are you hearing there might be some rumblings of support for that, at least? Again, I, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a federal lawmaker, so I, I don't know how the Hill works. Like, I do right. know how the, how the state how capital works. works. But based on the conversations, I think there is renewed optimism that some type of deal is possible if we hustle and do the work necessary to convince enough lawmakers to get behind it. And that's why we're staying here in D.C. this next week. Let me ask you about the, you mentioned voter ID a moment ago. Yeah. I remember several years ago, several sessions ago, uh, when the new voter ID law was passed. Right. And I remember Democrats protesting, complaining, saying this is going to reduce turnout. Right. So many of our constituents might not have the correct ID or, yeah. or the correct you know, form that you yeah. guys want. That didn't happen. though. I, November of 2020 had that record turnout. So what makes you think the same thing is not going to happen? I, this go around? So I would disagree. We did have record turnout for Texas. But remember, comparing to the rest of the country, we still had the lowest voter turnout in 2020 in a year of historic turnout. So you can't you can't compare, uh, you know, Texas numbers to Texas numbers. You've got to compare Texas to the rest of the country. You know, what's possible in Minnesota or in, in Massachusetts uh, or in Arizona, or Georgia? You know, that's where we should be aspiring to. We shouldn't you know, Texas shouldn't be trying to beat our low records. Right. We should try to be compete. Uh, we should be competing with other states uh, to try to boost our turnout as high as possible. Photo voter ID um, and provisions like the one in this voter suppression bill are what are, that's what's holding us back as a state from achieving our fullest potential at the ballot box. Representative Tellerico, let me ask you this. Governor Abbott's already says he's going to call a second special session to begin immediately sure. after this one ends. Yeah. If I'm a Democrat, I'm thinking, okay, well, then I might go somewhere right across the state border where it might be a little more affordable, mm-hmm. might be a little, little cheaper, a little closer to home. Yeah. Why stay in D.C. the entire time? So, yeah, I agree with you. You know, Governor Abbott's um, infatuation with voter suppression knows no bounds. Uh, it's a true love story. And, you know, he and, um, and Governor Ron DeSantis are in. It's, it's a true love story. It is. And, it's a good uh, life. It is. That nothing can separate them. Uh, and uh, he and Ron DeSantis are in a race to the bottom uh, to try to be the most uh, discriminatory, uh, the most bigoted governors in the country uh, so that they can run for president in 2024. You know, the only people who get hurt by that are the 30 million Texans Governor Abbott uh, swore an oath to protect. Uh, and so I think it's pretty clear that there is not a pathway to defeat this bill in Texas. The only pathway we have is to plead and beg and implore our federal lawmakers to take immediate action to invalidate some of the harmful provisions that are in this voter suppression bill. That's why we're here in D.C., because this is the only play. Um, we're, we're clear eyed. We're, we're realistic about this. Uh, if nothing happens in D.C., this, this bill will become state law. We'll have to return home. We'll have to you know, we'll fight as hard as we can on the floor, but it will pass. Um, I, we'll beg with our Republican colleagues, which, as you know, one Republican has already defected. Um, Representative Lyle Larson has spoken out against this bill as being discriminatory um, and saying that, which I believe is right, uh, when there is high voter turnout, Republic, Republicans can win at the ballot box, just like they did in 2020. Right. We had a record turnout for Texas and Republicans still won. So Republicans shouldn't be afraid of democracy. We've got to bring them back into the fold. They've got to be invested in this democratic system just like we are. Is there any room at all for compromise with the GOP? On this bill? So I, I think so. And, and listen, we as Democrats are not going to compromise on civil rights. We just won't. That's a red line that we will not cross. Um, we've, we've come too far as a country to compromise on these basic fundamental rights. But if, Republican, if my Republican friends at the Capitol in Austin are serious about consistency, right, you always hear that that's the main argument. Well, we just got to have consistent election codes across all the counties, all 254 counties in Texas. I get that. Right. The state should be the one making election law. What I would say, here's what the compromise. We agree to consistency across 254 counties, 
But that consistency is in favor of more accessible voting systems. So we have automatic voter registration. We have online voter registration. We have drive-through voting. Uh, I remember I was talking to Representative Darby, who represents San Angelo, Texas. He talked about drive-through voting in San Angelo uh, and said it was a big success for rural voters. Um, so you know, there is a, there's a sense that some of these measures could benefit all of us. That's what I want to get to. Um, I want to figure out how do we meet their needs, which they want consistency, which I understand. We want to make sure voting is accessible to every single person who's eligible to vote. Can both those things be possible at the same time? I believe so. Unfortunately, our Republican colleagues have not been interested in that kind of negotiation over the past seven months, which is what forced us to leave. And for our listeners here, too, um, walk through the parts of this current bill that's that's pending in the House, essentially, uh, that you disagree with. So this bill has had many different iterations, many different versions. So we should clarify that. Yeah. And and, and the last walkout. Correct. Was successful in diluting part of this bill. Well, wasn't it? Agreed. Yeah. Um, A a quorum break is a legislative tactic, as you know. It's a legitimate, time-honored tactic to get a certain outcome. You you know that Abraham Lincoln jumped out of a window at the at the Illinois State Capitol to break quorum when he was a legislator. So, um, and that's what occurred in in May. Um, The two most harmful provisions then were the elimination of souls to the polls, which is a historic tradition in the African American Church in Texas for congregants to vote together after Sunday services. Uh, my Republican colleagues moved, tried to move the voting time from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. to stop that from happening, to discriminate against African-Americans. Uh, and then there was also a, a really frightening provision that would have made it easier to overturn the results of an election. Both of those got taken out because of our quorum break. But this current version of the bill still has reduced voting hours across the state. It still hinders the, distribu- the distribution of uh, mail-in ballots to those uh, folks who, who may want to vote by mail. Uh, It empowers these vigilante partisan poll watchers to breathe down your neck while you're trying to vote. Right. I don't think any of us like the idea of a proud boy standing behind our grandmas while they're trying to vote. Um, And then it eliminates things like drive through voting, which hurts working families, because if you've got a bunch of kids, it's hard to it's hard to herd them all into a quiet polling place. Right. It's easier to put them in the back of the van and drive through and do your voting. Um, So those are the most harmful provisions currently. There there are many others, including, you know, criminalizing the work that our our amazing poll workers do. You've met these poll workers. They're, you know, the little old ladies from down the street, right? They're doing the best they can for very little pay. 12 hours, uh, of, 12 hours yeah. a day, yeah. I mean, these are the most wonderful people. You walk in, they're so, they greet you with a big smile and get you your sticker, right? We all have great experiences. This would put, uh, provisions in this bill would put them at risk for, for prosecution um, for their public service. So there are a lot of harmful provisions, but I will say we're in the beginning of the special session. There was no guarantee that this bill wouldn't have gotten worse, just like it did in the regular, except this time, because we broke quorum already, we heard they were going to be locking us in the chamber to, to force us to vote on this bill. That's what forced our hand and gave us no other option but to leave the state. We heard this, what, late last week that they were going to lock you, lock you in the chamber? We, I think our concern was because uh, in the regular session we broke quorum, that they would take steps to prevent that from happening this time. So, you know, we went to the 24-hour hearing on the bill. Um, we offered Democratic amendments to try to make the bill less harmful. Each and every one of those amendments was rejected by our Republican colleagues. They forced through a vote. They jammed the bill through to get it to the House floor as quickly as possible. And our concern was that if we stayed, we would no longer have the quorum break in our toolbox. We'd be locked in the chamber by DPS and, and forced to vote on this bill. That sounds crazy extreme to me, though. I mean, that, that's something that the sergeant at arms or the speaker could ask the sergeant at arms to do is to have DPS make sure no one leaves the chamber. Um, 
if we are talking about the same Republican Party that defunded the entire legislative branch and has made threats to arrest lawmakers, locking the doors of the Texas House doesn't seem that extreme by comparison. I mean, we are we are kind of through the looking glass at this point. Right. I mean, it's it sometimes I look around and can't believe this is happening in the United States of America. But Governor Abbott canceled a co-equal branch of government and we're all just pretending like it's no big deal. Right. I mean, this is what you have to realize is that democracies around the world that fail don't fail overnight. They fail gradually. Right. After the Soviet Union fail, fell, Russia was a democracy in the 1990s. Now it's not. No one can point to a year where that happened or a day where that happened. You just wake up one day and you realize this isn't the democracy we once had. And it was because journalists and elected officials didn't stand up to do something about it. That's what I refuse to let happen in this country. I have one more question here for you, Representative Pellerico. We have a lot more Miller Lite left. So we, we, we do have more. There's a case outside the door I'm sure we could get. It. Sure. Um, <laughs> you guys are obviously raising the flag on this. You appeared on Fox News. You're, sure. of course, on the uh, uh, world-famous Yolitics po- podcast here. Um, Not as toxic and traumatizing that, as Fox News. I, so. I'm glad. We, we, should, we, should, we should make that part of our promotions. Right. Um, but it seems like to me that, that the people most potentially most affected by this Republican legislation that, that Democrats are saying could really impact you know, uh, their votes, those people potentially most affected don't really get it, don't really understand what's going on yeah. and, and, and how their vote could be at risk. Yeah. Why not? You know, I think um, this is a, a process issue, right? Um, voting rights is, is um, a very technical issue. Um, and it's not one that everyone understands. It requires a significant amount of technical ex- expertise to understand election codes and election law. That makes it difficult. But the reason it's important is because voting rights uh, is foundational. It's essential. It underpins all the other issues we talk about, right? Public schools, infrastructure, um, uh, reproductive rights, the environment, uh, the economy, jobs. Those are all important and they are all underpinned by voting rights because without the vote, Nothing else is possible in a democracy. That's why we broke quorum. And you, you know Texas politics better than I do. You know that Texas Democrats lose all the time in the legislature, right? We, we're used to losing on abortion, guns, immigration. And, and we, don't, we don't break quorum every day, right? You, you've seen us on the floor. We, we pick ourselves up. We dust ourselves off. We get to work the next day, fight the good fight, and lose again, right? The reason we broke quorum on this is because voting rights is foundational. I remember when I was growing up, my... Little sister, she's she's like a right brain person. She's an accountant, very very good with money. And we play Monopoly, and I would lose every single time, right? She would she would like you know put me in so much debt in Monopoly, right? It wasn't even fun anymore. But I still play because I'm a good big brother. But if she had tried to change the rules of Monopoly in the middle of the game, I would have stopped playing. That's exactly what we're doing. The Republicans are trying to rig the rules of the game itself to stop us from being able to play, and that's why we had to break quorum and take this extraordinary measure to stop this bill from passing. Representative Tallarico, thanks for joining us on Yolitics here. I hope to have you back sometime. I'd love to come back. Well, you know, I haven't played Monopoly in a while, but uh, that's a good idea. I can, I can pull that on Wheeler, maybe, if he ever shows back up. We'll have to call Wheeler and see if he answers his phone sometime in this podcast here. Uh, let's shift off to uh, the Republican side of, of the House. State Representative Craig Goldman is with us. He's a Republican from Fort Worth. He's on the line. He's chair of the House Energy Resources Committee. Uh, a longtime listener of Yolitics, I'm sure, aren't you, Craig? Oh, a long time, Jason. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for having me on. Hey, thanks, thanks for being here, man. So what's it like 
in the House chamber right now. I mean, I've seen pictures. It looks like everyone just kind of sitting around, returning emails, scrolling through Instagram. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating. Um, you know, we're there uh, to do a job. We're elected to do a job. We're elected to represent our constituents in Austin in the House chamber. Uh, we're not elected to represent our constituents anywhere else, especially in Washington, D.C., um, so it's frustrating. Uh, I must say we show up every single day at the allotted time and we are held at a standstill because uh, the Democrats are up there vacationing in Washington, D.C. But if you know that the Democrats aren't coming back anytime soon, why, why is the speaker making you guys show up every day? I mean, why not? Well, just- some are. Huh? Uh, some are. And in, in fact, uh, I believe we're up to seven uh, or eight that were there on Friday. And we're certainly hoping this week more of them show up so that we do actually have a quorum. So uh, here's what people don't realize is that Republicans and Democrats are actually friends. Um, are, are you texting back and forth to some of your Democratic friends saying, what's up? When are you coming back? I got stuff to do. I mean, what? What? To, give us an idea of what it's like. You don't have to name names well, unless you want to name names. No. Well, I think I'll protect the innocent. Um, but to your point, Jason, we are friends. And we've said I've said from day one that I got into the chamber in 2013. I say it in every single speech I give. We are not like Washington, D.C. Uh, we actually get along with one another. We actually socialize with one another. We talk uh, year round with one another. Uh, we have actually made lifelong friends, not only from Republicans, but Democrats by being in the Texas State House. Uh, so, yes, a lot of us have talked to many of them up in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think they're now stuck. Um, you know, some of, them, some of their uh, caucus members have made a pledge that they're staying out till the end of this special session. And um, and I get, you know, that they, they want to stay unified as much as they can. Um, but we also have a job to do. And our job is to be in the Texas State House voting on, on uh, legislation put before us by the governor of Texas uh, for this special session. If we don't get it done this first one, then as he has said, he's going to call us immediately back the very next day, which I believe is August 7th or August 8th. And we'll have another 30-day special session. We'll hopefully get it done then. And let me ask one more process question here, too, just so I understand. Since, since things are to stand still in Austin, is it true that y'all have to have a note to move around the halls like it's in eighth grade or something? Yeah. So, uh, in, in fact, uh, we went and met with the teachers unions the other day or the, the Retired Teachers Association the other day and showed them our permission slips and uh you know, we haven't we haven't shown uh, permission slips to teachers and 30 some of us in 30, 40 years. Um, so, yes, uh, because we are technically locked in the chamber by the speaker when we get there uh, today, we're going in at two o'clock and um, uh, literally the sergeant arms locks the doors. Um, we check to see if we have a quorum. And um, so the speaker keeps us there as long as he feels he needs to. And so then in order to leave the chamber, yes, uh, we have to get um, slips given to us by the speaker saying it's okay to leave the chamber. Wow. So earlier on this podcast, we had uh, one of your colleagues from across the aisle, uh, State Representative um, James Tallarico, and he mentioned something that that you just mentioned as well, too. He said that Democrats decided to take off because there was a chatter uh, what week before last, just a few days before they left. There was a chatter that the speaker might order the sergeant at arms to actually lock the doors Uh, and require a vote. Is that true? Uh, I hadn't heard that, uh, Jason, at all. Um, So I don't know where James had heard that chatter. Um, That certainly is his right, but we've never been 
like that. I mean, we show up, we debate legislation, we vote on legislation. That's our jobs. Um, you know, especially with this uh, election integrity bill, uh, the Democrats have certainly have a say in what's in the bill. They certainly can offer amendments along the way. Uh, Representative Murr, who now authors the bill, has made substantial changes to the bill that was the bill in regular session. Uh, they sat through 24 hours of a hearing, and and I watched a lot of that hearing. And Democrat member after Democrat member said, Representative Murr, I have some changes to this bill. Would you be willing to listen to these changes, and would you be willing to accept them? And he said, I will listen to every single possible change that's wanted to be made, and you leave it to the will of the House as far as offering amendments. That's the system. That's, that's the way we have it set up. That's the way we've done it since the 1800s. That's the way we currently do it today. And we don't cut and run. We show up and we do our job that we are elected to do. Well, let's talk about this bill, because the bill in the House is HB3, House Bill 3 for the special session. Um, is, is, aside from those amendments, is there any room for compromise with Democrats now that, that they have taken off to D.C.? Well, I mean, again, yes. I mean, it, there's always opportunity to speak about everything. A, a bill does not become law until the governor signs it. Um, so there's an opportunity every step of the way uh, to change how a current bill looks. The bill just got out of committee. Um, so there's Representative Murr has been incredible with all the members about giving them time, about explaining what's in the bill and what's more importantly, what's not in the bill. Uh, a lot of my Democrat colleagues up in Washington, D.C., I saw at a rally over the weekend, uh, talking a whole bunch about what's not in the bill rather than what actually is in the bill. And I encourage everybody to actually read the bill before you speak on it. Um, so, so you aren't making things up as many of them are doing. Um, but, but the point is, Representative Murr has been welcome to any changes, any amendments whatsoever, and that's the process. Well, I've actually read the bill. It's, it's, uh, I think it's 55 pages long. Just the, the synopsis is 22 pages long. So that gives you an idea of kind of how complex this is. Here, here's my overall question to, to the to the Republican bill. Why not make it easier to vote and let each county decide uh, based on population? Well, we do make it easier to vote, Jason. And, and let's go back to when you and I were growing up. Uh, there was one day to vote at your local precinct and you couldn't you couldn't go anywhere else. Um, look how far we've come since then, is we now have two weeks of early voting. In fact, during the pandemic, we have three weeks of early voting. Um, so, uh, but we'll go back to two weeks of early voting in November. That's plenty of time. Not one of my constituents has ever come to me and said, man, I did not have time to vote. In those two weeks of early voting and on election day, I did not have time to vote. Um, and, and so, uh, I'll, I'll be honest, Harris County, Houston, uh, went a little um, beyond uh, the scale of things during during the pandemic and allowed 24-hour voting. Well, what, what, every what, single one of our parents that? has said. What, tell me what's wrong with 24-hour voting. What, what's wrong with 24-hour well, voting? Because every single one of our parents, it's something we learned as children or, or as high schoolers. Uh, when you want to stay out past midnight and your parents said, you know, nothing good happens after midnight. Uh, the ability to find poll watchers, the ability to find workers at three, four in the morning uh, to sit there and 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 uh, and get the ballots. It's just, again, uh, to that perfect point, no one in Dallas County or, or Tarrant County is saying, man, I really want 24-hour voting. And, and so it's just we're trying to make the law more uniform uh, for the state, for the big cities, so that everybody knows 
that I can vote the exact same way as my fellow Texan all over this state. But yeah, that's what I, I've heard the speaker tell me that, too. We want to have, you know, uniform law all the way across. So so these, you know, individual counties don't have ad hoc uh, ideas they, that they implement. But but there are numerous places in House Bill three where the the legislation text actually differentiates based on county size. Um, you know, one of them is, you know, live streaming it has to happen at counties, you know, with more than 100,000 people. So so there is there is a split in there uh, for smaller counties and for larger counties. You know, the, the, the legislature tell them one way to do it for larger, one way to do it for smaller. And this kind of goes to, to how we form it. Yeah, that's kind of how we formulate legislation, Jason. It, it, I authored House Bill 1900, which was the uh, to making sure that big cities did not defund their police departments. Uh, we knew it was a problem with big cities. We knew it wasn't a problem with smaller cities. So we left smaller cities out of it. It's the way we craft legislation. We wouldn't be writing these laws if we didn't see or hear or know about problems. Um, um, county attorneys, uh, sorry, district attorneys all over the state will tell you they don't prosecute many of these uh, election law violations because in most cases they're misdemeanors. Uh, I'm no lawyer, but but they all say that, you know, misdemeanors are just a complete waste of time. So until you make them felonies, um, then then there's more teeth into them. In fact, in 2017, I passed uh, the strongest um, uh, mail-in ballot fraud bill uh, in Texas history at the time by putting more teeth in a mail, mail-in ballot fraud, uh, making it a felony instead of misdemeanor. We knew there were problems. We knew there was vote harvesting going on, mainly in South Texas. Um, and, and those people came to testify and said they were getting paid to chase the mail, chase the ballots in mailboxes and they were going to fill, fill them out. And when asking the, the people who lived in those homes um, if they voted and they said no, we knew that there was a problem. So, you know, we wouldn't be, we'd be passing these laws to make it more secure to vote. That's the main thing. The, the, God, the, the right to vote is so sacred. We all want to make it um, um, much easier to vote, but much tougher to to uh, have fraud in our elections. Well, you mentioned problems. You mentioned fraud right there, too, uh, represent, Representative. Tell, tell me, I, I mean, I remember what the Secretary of State said in Texas after the 2020 vote in November. I remember what the governor said, um, that, that everything was fine. There were no cases of fraud here. And then this whole thing comes up. I mean, I, I, it seems like you got a, a square peg in a round hole here. You're trying to fix something that doesn't, that didn't need fixing. Well, again, that's, well, yes and no. So, so in saying that we don't want it, we don't want to make it easier to cheat. So in some cases, if you give the ability to cheat, they're going to take it. Here's a perfect example. The governor allowed during the pandemic, drop-off locations all across cities, right? Instead of just going to take your ballot, if you didn't trust it to go in the mail, you could drop it off. There were drop-off locations in one city all over the city. Uh, and there were 30 to 40 drop-off locations. So what happened? I was in Houston, People I think, started showing up with 50 to 60 ballots and dropping those off. Now, was there proven fraud there? No, but what happened? We had to shut down those, the governor had to shut down those drop-off locations because there's no reason someone should have 50 ballots in their hands and drop those off. So we're trying to, to do everything we can, again, to make it uh, easier to vote, but much harder to cheat. So if you give those opportunities for people to cheat, they're going to take advantage of it. Having covered, I, I, I've done, I'm sure you've seen, because I know you watch me every night uh, on, on WFAA, uh, Representative, but 
every single night, especially every single Sunday. <laughs> I appreciate that. But I mean, for a few years, I did several, you know, pretty hard investigations into uh, um, harvesting and harvesting is a felony. Um, it, it, it is, but from the attorney general's office to the county DA, it's just very, very rare. And one problem is, as you probably know, is that the attorney general's office only has eight voter integrity investigators for a state of almost 30 million people. HB3 says, you know, they're going to turn over a lot of things to the uh, secretary. The SOS is going to send over a lot of things to the attorney general, but I don't see anywhere in there they're going to add any more investigators to actually look at this stuff. Well, and and to your point, you're right. Uh, Almost 30 million people and there's few investigators, but let's be honest as well. Uh, Almost all the fraud that's been reported is in our major cities and down in South Texas. Again, I know this because I passed the 2017 mail-in ballot fraud bill that did make harvesting go from a misdemeanor to a felony. So I myself have done a lot of research in this and have a lot of stories of especially down people in South Texas. You know, back in the in the, in the day, you could sign your name on an iPad. Uh, what people would do is they go knock on a door and say, "Are you for good government?" We're like, well, "Yes, I'm for good government." They said, "Well, sign your name here on the iPad." They signed their name, and boom, those people had locked in their signature. They then applied for a a voter registration card. They then applied for a ballot. They then voted all with that signature and that person never knew it. So again, if you open the door a little bit for fraud, these are smart people, as as we say, criminals are smarter than a lot of us. And so if you open the door a little bit, they're gonna take full advantage um, to to vote illegally. And and so we're gonna do everything in our power to make sure that every single votes count and it's sacred. But still at the end of the day, I, I mean, I don't mean to keep hammering on this, but at the end of the day, these numbers are a fraction upon a fraction of the total vote. I mean, I, well, and again, just, just have any, the AG's office any, told any, me that. Every, every, I mean, the governor is too. But any case, Jason, of voter fraud is a Yeah, Yeah. if there's one, then there's a problem. Yeah, no, and and there've been and there and there are a number of cases to where and again, DAs will tell you all across the state. Well, because they've only been misdemeanors, we just kind of give them a slap on the wrist and let them go. Are are you Um, are you concerned at all, uh, Representative, that 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 the the one size fits all um, legislation that this bill is that that will take away some people's right to vote? Well, that will again, take away no, the convenience. Because, Let me change my question. That will take away the convenience uh, for people who may not have a car, may you know be uh, shut in, et cetera. Well, like, again, Jason, where was the outcry prior to this building be filed? Where was the outcry that I didn't get the opportunity to vote? No one's ever come to, from my district has ever knocked on my door or called the office and said, I just didn't have time to, I, I didn't have, you, you didn't give me the right to vote in the two weeks of early voting or on election day. Um, there's been no outcry. Everybody, in fact, you know, you've heard the comparisons now. We have more early voting in Texas than they do in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. Um, Amy, uh, I, I saw an interview over the weekend, Amy Klobuchar from Minnesota was there standing up with our are my fellow um, uh, colleagues up in D.C., whereas Minnesota has more restrictive voting than Texas does. So uh, every state is different. And I would say Texas gives people way more rights to vote uh, than other states as far as early voting goes. And again, we're not restricting any way that anybody votes by mail. They want to continue to vote by mail. Again, not one of our constituents said, man, y'all are restricting the vote because you're shortening the amount of time that that um, that you give us the right to vote. In fact, 
We're doing just the opposite in the bill. We increase the time of early voting. From what, 6 a.m. to 9 p.m., right? Those are the hours? Those are the hours, yeah. yes. Um, here's something that perplexes me. Uh, you just you know compared us to uh, uh, Delaware and to, to Minnesota. Texas is way behind when it comes to online voter registration. What's the concern about that? 39 states have online voter registration. Alabama, my home state of Tennessee has it. Alabama yeah. has it. I mean, these Idaho has it. These, these hard right states have it. But Texas seems scared of it. Why? Yeah, that, that I just don't know. It's just a bill that, that, that I know has been filed in the committee and just hadn't made it through the elections committee uh, in some time. And I, again, I sat on the elections committee three sessions ago. Uh, I don't remember if there was one then. There probably was. Uh, but I just I, I can't speak to it because I just don't know why. Are you glad you're not on it this this session? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, and, and again, well, yes and no. I mean, look, I, I'm glad I did serve on it because I certainly learned a lot. Yeah. Um, and and heard horrific stories of of people who were restricted from voting and 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 heard the the ballot harvesting stories, um, where people literally got paid to vote for other people. Um, it's obvious Republicans, or it's obvious Democrats cannot stay gone forever. They've got to come back at some point. And, and we all know there will be a, a separate special session at some point this year to, uh, to handle re- redistricting. I'm thinking that Republicans are probably going to take it out pretty hard on Democrats when it comes to redistricting. Am I right? Well, I, I, look, I sit on the redistricting committee. Um, unfortunately, because Democrats uh, went up to Washington, D.C., we've had three hearings have to be canceled. Um, so the people of Texas who did want to have a say in, into how their districts were made up uh, had been talking about having their voices silenced. Uh, three hearings where we were going to talk to people of Texas of what they, how they would like their districts made up have been silenced. Um, so those three hearings have been canceled. Uh, we have one scheduled for uh, tomorrow, as a matter of fact, and uh, that's probably already been canceled. And then one for this Saturday uh, that will probably be canceled because the Democrats are up in Washington, D.C. on their vacation. So uh, it's unfortunate. And so we'll have to reschedule those hearings, hopefully. And then um, the Department of Commerce has said that they're coming out with the numbers in mid, um, mid-September. mid um, Sorry, mid-August. And, and so we'll start to be able to draw the maps. Um, and no, I'm, I mean, personally, I'm not going to take it out on the Democrats. We're going to do this fairly. We're going to do it the right way. And, um, and we'll draw the maps based on uh, where the numbers lie. Here's the last question I have for you. Um, the speaker, uh, Speaker Phelan, had to do something, and he took uh, Joe Moody out of the second in command. I mean, that, that's just obvious that he has to respond in, in some form or fashion. Do you, do you think he should, or do you support him uh, removing Nicole Collier, uh, one of your colleagues there from Fort Worth, as uh, chair of Criminal Jurisprudence Committee? Well, that's that'll be a decision he'll make in 2023. Um, Based on our rules of the House, you cannot remove a sitting chair. Okay, so, gotcha. um, yeah, he had the right to remove um, uh, Joe Moody as Speaker Pro Tem, but he is d- the sitting Speaker does not have the right, based on our rules, to remove any sitting chairman. Gotcha. What, what else do you expect the Speaker to do between between now and and whenever this ends? Gavel is back in every single day as he has. Uh, we were there this weekend, um, and again, we'll gavel in every single day until this special session ends. We will all be there. Uh, hoping that uh, if all of our Democrat colleagues don't show back up, at least enough of them will, so we have a quorum. 
and we can do the do the people's business that we're elected to do. Are, are you all talking to a few of them to see if you can crack them to come back to at least get a quorum again? Well, I mean, I don't I don't know if that's the right terminology. This is uh, it's, it's, it's good terminology for yolitics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we doing more loose on yolitics. <laughs> Uh, I mean, look, first and foremost, I talked to a lot of them to check on them um, uh, to, to make sure they were they were healthy, especially after the uh, announcement that that uh, several of them caught COVID. Yeah. Uh, so that's first and foremost is to make sure they're OK health wise. And then secondly, sure. I mean, you, you had the conversation. With them, look, you, you've made your point. Um, there's really nothing more to do up there. They have nothing left to do. They've talked to the appropriate senators. They talked to the vice president of the United States, um, who happened to be, you know, the point person on the border. I wish I would have talked more about the border, which she has control over, which instead of um, a bill that's not going to make it through the Senate, um, admittedly by Senator Schumer. So, um, you know, I wish I would have spent more time with the vice president talking about the border and the problems down there. Um, so but certainly we're, we're having the conversations with them that that's really no, nothing more for you to do up there. It's time to come home and come do what you're elected to do. And that's being the Texas State House, not up in Washington, D.C. All right. State Rep. Uh, Craig Goldman. Uh, you know, I didn't mention earlier, you're, you're the vice chair of the uh, House Republican Caucus, which is the main reason we had you on. Uh, you know, in, yeah, in addition- oh, I'm the treasurer. Yeah, I don't want to take any away from Dr. Alderson. Oh, He's our you know what? I, I was misinformed that you're the treasurer. Yeah. Ah, okay. The treasurer. Gotcha. Well, well, my bad about that. Uh, Republican from Fort Worth. That's all right. I don't want to take any away. You know, Dr. Alderson from, from Houston is a great vice chair, and he deserves that title because he earned it. My, my mistake there. That's, uh, that's, that's corrected. Well, I'll have to edit myself out on that one. Uh, hey, man, it's good to talk to you again. Thanks for the insight, and uh, safe travels to and from Austin. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it, Jason. Come see us. Wow. So uh, Representative Goldman says they are working to, to kind of crack some of the Democrats, see if they can flake off enough to get uh, to get back here to get an actual quorum. That will be interesting to see. But it, it was nice to hear also that, that he talked about the humanity of all this. People, you know, go to their own separate sides when it comes to politics and want to say, oh, you know, the other side's just horrible, bad people. At the end of the day, what so many constituents and so many people who watch cable news just do not get is that these people are friends. Lawmakers on both sides, Republicans and Democrats, are friends. And that's something that I think could be a lesson for uh, for a lot of us. Nevertheless, I was going to give uh, a, a brief phone call, kind of surprise here at the end of the podcast, uh, and reach out to, uh, to Wheeler. I think he's on the beach somewhere, but I think the uh, time change would make it like 4 a.m. where he is. And if you know Wheeler, his uh, temper's even shorter than mine. He would probably say some things we can't use on the podcast, so we'll save that for next time. Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate that, and uh, cheers. We'll, uh, we'll see you next week.